right. Good morning. Hope you got your Bibles with you. You can take those out. Man, you are a good sport. I, I wouldn't have even made them do that. I just want you to know. I feel like Sid and Kevin were the ones mostly enjoying that. He, we got video of the whole thing over here. Kevin was so excited. Like, he was ready. Oh, man. It's been a sweet day already. There, we're going to continue on in our sermon series to the book of Romans today. You can turn to Romans 5, but before we, we get there, there's, this is an interesting passage, and so it may take us just a minute to walk through it. I hope you've got these little prepackaged elements for the Lord's Supper. If you don't have that, if you want to raise your hand, I bet somebody would come in here and bring some around if you, if you don't have one. Maybe we got some up front. Troy, open that door and say, hey guys, we need some more of these thingies. Here they come. They're coming. Just, just raise your hand, keep them up. Pastor Rodney is coming in right now to, to start handing these out, and then we'll get to use those at the end of our time today. Um, while that's happening, let, let me read with you in Genesis chapter 3. And I know you say, whoa, 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 Genesis 3. We're in Romans, Brian. Just, just hang with me because we need to go back for a minute before we get into today's passage. So Genesis 3, the very first book of the Bible, all the way back close to the first part of your cover of your Bible, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said back to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Today our passage Paul has gotten to, he's going to help us to understand a little bit better about what exactly happened back there all the way in Genesis chapter 3. What happened as far as we are concerned? Why is something that happened so long ago, why would that affect us? Now, I don't know if you are a Star Wars fan, anyone a Star Wars fan? I know, I know. You're like, Brian, get to Romans. I'm, I'm good at I was born in 1977, which I believe is when the first Star Wars movie came out. So it was part of me growing up. You know, I loved those first three movies that were actually the second three movies. And then they had the first three movies that, that came next. They had to move them in front of the first three movies. But it, it, it got a little crazy for me to keep up with. So, um, But the, the tale of Star Wars is kind of the tale of two Skywalkers, okay? If you're familiar with this. The first Skywalker, his name was... Anakin Skywalker, okay? Uh, the second Skywalker was Luke Skywalker. And when facing the temptation of the dark side, the first Skywalker, Anakin, he gave in to that temptation and let the dark side take over. And of course, because of that, death and chaos just followed, okay? Well, the next Skywalker 
faced with the same temptation of being moved over to the dark side. He did not give in. He stayed true to the force, and because of that, hope and life followed. Okay, are you with me? Now, in fact, it was Luke who was, in a way, able to redeem his father, Anakin, okay, at the end of the third or sixth movie, however you're counting. George Lucas, the director of this whole thing even, and I read this on the internet, so you know I don't know if you can believe the internet or not, but it said that George Lucas said that the whole Star Wars story is actually about the redemption of Anakin Skywalker, okay? So I think it's okay for me to say that the whole story of the Bible is about the redemption of the first Adam by the second Adam, okay? And that's where we're headed today. And so that brings us finally, I know, to Romans 5, Verse 12, and, and I want us to read, you know I like to read the whole thing um, so we can kind of see the whole big picture and then we will dive in and, and take this uh, piece by piece. Okay, so start with me, Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Death reigned even from Adam to Moses, so even before the law was given, okay? Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Amen? So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can we pray? Father, you are the author of this book. Help us to understand it correctly today as, as we read it. Fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning so that, that uh, we can learn how to apply this passage to our lives. And we thank you especially for Christ and his cross. Amen. You know, up to this point in what we've been studying through the book of Romans, Paul has been letting us know that the entire world, all the earth, is under the wrath of God. Okay? He has used phrases like, without excuse. He has said to us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I just was wondering, like, well, well Why? You know, I mean, why is the whole earth under God's wrath? Why is everyone suffering so much? Why are all these things going so wrong in the earth that God created? I mean, he sinned all the way back there in Genesis 3. Shouldn't we all kind of get our own chance to kind of go for it and, and maybe get it right? You know, I don't know. 
But Paul tells us, no, the reason that there is such problems in the earth and all this sin going on is because of what Adam did all the way back in Genesis 3. That's why we had to read this. We catch us up. And that's what this section in chapter 5 is about. And you know I love to give you the main idea, especially in these New Testament passages right up front, so you don't miss it, because you're still alert right now. So write this down. This is the main idea today. Although every one of us is spiritually dead in Adam, Christ's triumph over sin and death has given us life. Okay? I'm going to say that again. Although every one of us is spiritually dead in Adam, Christ's triumph over sin and death has given us life. Now, when you write that down, you should underline the everyone because it is important. Oftentimes, we like to think for some reason that, that we're probably okay because we're a good person. Every one of us is spiritually dead. Let's start out today. We're going to look, as we go through this passage, at three C's, okay? And the first C is this, the conflict. The conflict. And we find the conflict in verses 12 through 14. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. You know, a couple of weeks ago, um, when we've been going through chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, talk, talk about uh, the blessings, Paul explains, that we have in Christ. These blessings that we receive through Christ. We talked about peace with God, right? No longer are you an enemy with God if you are in Christ. Peace. We talked about the blessing of being justified before God. No longer are we guilty of our sin before God. That that guilt has been wiped away, so we are now justified, okay? We talked about the friendship language. Remember that two weeks ago? Being reconciled with God. Not just justified, but we can now call ourselves friends with God. We have been reconciled to Him. These are some of the blessings that we find in our salvation to Christ. And here... He's talking about some of the same things, but today Paul is, is concerned with the enemies of these blessings, namely sin and death. Sin and death are the enemies of these blessings that we can receive from Christ. Because of sin, people are alienated from God. They are no longer at peace with him, okay? Future glory was lost because of sin and death. Trials exist because of sin and death. The trials, the hard things that are going on in your life and in your world is because of sin and death. Genesis 3. Reconciliation, that friendship with God needs to happen because of sin and death. All of these things are because of sin and death. The good news, though, of our passage today is that peace can be restored through Christ. Okay, So, so don't get too down because there's going to be some really negative things being said. But just know that the good stuff is coming. That's why I gave you the main idea up front, so you would not be discouraged too much. Notice that in verse 12, this is all because of Adam's fall. When we say Adam's fall, we're talking about his sin, okay? His fall from his connection and relationship to God. Sin and death now are introduced into the world. And let me just say this about sin. This isn't just a broken rule. It's not really about did I eat the fruit or not eat the fruit. And sometimes we like to think when we sin, oh, I just, I, yeah, I messed that one up. Okay, Sin is treason. Sin is idolatry. Sin is a failure to love God the way he has loved us. And please, 
Make no mistake. Sin is an attempt to dethrone God. Do you understand that? Sin is an attempt to dethrone God. What did the serpent say to the woman? He said, oh, no, 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 no. You will be like God. And when Eve saw that she could be like God, she chose to disobey and to sin. We do the same thing. Every time we sin, it is our attempt to dethrone God from his rightful place. When we sin, we choose to worship ourselves rather than to worship him. When we sin, we choose to please ourselves rather than to please him. When we sin, we choose to follow our ways and what we think is right because of our great knowledge rather than following his ways and his word. When we sin, it is our attempt to dethrone God and to put us on his throne, to be like God. There is this three-stage chain reaction here in verse 12 that we see. Sin enters the world through Adam. Death enters the world through sin. And then death spreads to all humans because all have sinned. So we see the entrance of sin, the, the entrance of death, and the spread of universal death because of sin. And you see, we not only sin like Adam, but when we sin, it's because we are all in Adam every time we sin. Since we entered into a world alienated from God, we sin. Does that make sense? That makes sense to me. We enter the world alienated from God because sin has come into the world, death has come into the world, and death has spread to all men because all men have sinned. So when I come into the world, I am alienated from God, so I continue to sin. The effects of Adam's sin are universal. Everyone is affected. We know this, don't we? We know it. I mean, don't you know there's something wrong with people around you? We know that. There is something wrong with the people around me. There is something wrong with, with the way things are going in this world. It's not right. We know that. You know, if we're real honest, we know at our own core there is something wrong with us, if we will be honest about it. There's something wrong. And even, check this out, non-Christians even know this. They know there's something not right with people. There's this guy, he's a, he's a children's researcher named Burton White. He researches little bitty children. He's been doing it for decades. And he wrote in a book called The, first, the New First Three Years of Life. Okay, it's like a parenting book. This is what this guy wrote, the not yet believer. From 15 to 16 months on, as his self-awareness becomes more substantial, something in his nature we don't fully understand will lead him to deliberately try each of these forbidden activities, specifically to see what will be allowed and what won't. In other words, he will begin systematically to challenge the authority of the adult he lives with. Resistance to simple requests becomes very common at this time, and if there is more than one child around, this can be a low point in the parenting experience. <laughs> Anybody ever experienced that at home with multiple kids? Yeah. Yeah. Did anybody have to teach their kid how to lie? Nope. I love what he says. Uh, something in his nature we don't fully understand. Well, we do understand because God has told us in his scriptures we are all children of Adam. Okay? So that's how we get to that point. Here's the good news, though. Christ has come to overcome sin. Look at the end of verse 14. He's talking about the transgression of Adam. And it says, who was a type. You should square this word, a type. Who was a type of the one who was to come. Typology. This is kind of the study of these types in the Bible. You can find this from, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You start looking for types. Okay? In the Bible, a type... 
A type is a person, a place, or an event that foreshadows or symbolizes someone else that's going to come in the future. Okay, Adam is a type of or points forward to Christ. Okay, that's Adam. He's a type of Christ. And he says that he was a type of the one who was to come. This is kind of a sprinkling in of the good news. Here we go. So we get this idea in our passage here of representation. Okay, people have always struggled with this idea of grace. We still struggle with it. That somehow we can receive salvation for free. Right? This just doesn't make sense. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That, that justification, my salvation, it has to have something to do with, I, with what I do. My works, my effort, my merit. Right? I mean, it can't just only be because of my faith in Jesus. There must be something that I've got to do. So that somehow having Christ's righteousness, all the good that he did, that that would be imputed to me. That's a big Bible word. This, this idea of imputation, this laying Christ's righteousness on me, putting it on me, awarding it to me. Can't be that. Of course, Paul spends a ton of time in his New Testament writings explaining just that, that no, it is truly by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That he is convinced no one will ever be saved by works of the law. No one. Paul is very adamant about that. And i got to tell you that this passage, it kind of helps me to see that. Paul is teaching us that imputation is not only a New Testament kind of term. That in fact, this is how God has been interacting with his people. Check it out. The whole story of the human race. In Adam, we had his sin imputed onto us. Does that make sense? So this is how that works. Adam's sin is imputed to us. Sin enters the world. Death enters the world. Death to all men because all men have sinned. Bam. That's why I don't just get to have my own shot at it. It's just done. Adam is my representative when it comes to the human race. It is laid upon me because he is my representative. It's kind of like the Olympics, okay? When the Olympics are going on and you go to work the next day and someone comes up to you and goes, hey, we won two gold medals last night. And you didn't swim in that pool. You know, you had nothing to do with winning that gold medal. You watched from your couch, okay? But, but that athlete is our representative, okay? He's our representative. He wins gold, we win gold. And we brag about how many gold medals we got, even though none of us can know how to swim like that, okay? Adam was our first representative. When he sinned, we all sinned. And in fact, every time we sin, we sin because of Adam's sin. But this passage is not only bad news, it's good news. We have another representative. So the question today is this for you. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? One or the other. Which one are you? We're going to see that the answer to that question is basically a life or death situation. Okay, so you need to pay attention. As we move on, we're going to see that Paul shows us some of the differences between our two representatives. These are the C, the contrasts. The contrast. And we find the four contrasts in verses 15 through 19. And, and one of the phrases we're going to see is much more. The two words together, much more, much more. It shows us that Adam and Jesus are not equal, in case you were thinking that they were. Remember that a type in the Bible points forward to a person, place, or event, a type in the future. And the type, the one that comes first, is always the lesser. Okay? You understand that? I remember this because, you know, if a type foreshadows something coming forward, the shadow, me and my shadow here, uh, 
it would probably be more interesting to have lunch with me than my shadow, okay? The shadow, just he's just there because I'm here. It's a foreshadowing. The one that comes first is lesser of the two. And in Jesus, I want you to hear this, church family, we have gained way more than we lost in Adam. That is really good and important for you to remember. Let's, let's look at the four contrasts. The first one is this. Trespass and gift. Trespass and gift. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. In these few verses, 15 through 17, we see the mention of gift or grace eight times. Paul is excited about the gift, okay? The grace. Four verses, eight times he says it. Okay, because of what Christ has done and what he has accomplished on our behalf, God deals with us on the basis of grace now. Is that good news to anyone? Thank the Lord that God does not deal with me on the basis of my merit. Because even on my good days, when I think I'm hitting it right, I fall so short of a perfect holy God and his standard. God deals with me on the basis of grace, gift I don't deserve. Adam's impact on humanity is negative. It was his sin. It was his trespass. And it says many died. And that word many, if you want to circle it, that means his impact was total. Okay? It's universal. All of mankind. Paul already told us in verse 12 that all, death spread to all because all has sinned. Okay? So Adam's trespass is universal in impact. However, Christ's impact on humanity is not negative. It's positive. His gift or his act of grace says it abounded for many. Now, it is important for us to mention this time the word many, just a few words later, does not mean universal. It can't be. You have to look at the context. It does not mean that all people are saved now. That's a teaching that's called universalism. This idea that all people will eventually be saved, that no one will ever go to hell. The Bible doesn't teach that, unfortunately. Salvation is offered to all. Salvation is needed by all. Yes. But even today in verse 17, we find that only those who receive it will actually be saved. The gift of Christ is so much greater than the trespass of Adam. It accomplishes more for us than the trespass did against us. But by starting here with the trespass, Paul is, is showing us how dim a picture it is for us when we are still in Adam. But then he comes back and he trumps it with what the gift is in Christ. What does he say? Some of, the, some of these terms, much more, much more. Grace of God, the gift. He says the grace of the one man. He says it's overflowed. Paul wants the gift to be shown as the main attraction, okay? Like the illustration of a jeweler who first puts down a black cloth before putting the diamond on it so you can see how sparkly the diamond is, okay? Paul says it looks like this bad, but look at how great a thing Christ has done for us. The gift is the main attraction. Adam's trespass, his sin, it was devastating, and it brought sin and death to all, but the gift of Christ will not allow sin and death to overcome believers because his blood has overcome sin and death. Amen? The next contrast is in verse 16. Condemnation and justification. Verse 16 says, And the free gift is not like the result 
talking about results now. The free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So Adam's sin brings on condemnation. We are back to two weeks ago with all that legal language. Are you with me? You remember that legal language? It's that TV courtroom drama. God is the judge. The law is the plaintiff. We are the defendant who has absolutely nothing to say for ourselves because we are, in fact, guilty. And the verdict is just that. We are condemned. It brings about condemnation. We are guilty of sin, every single one of us. I hope that you notice. One of the first things I noticed when I read through this passage was circle all the words that said all. Every one of us condemned. Adam's trespass brings in this condemnation. But Christ's gift is not the same. It brings what? Justification. Believers are not guilty. Believers are, what was our word two weeks ago? Righteous. Believers are righteous. And our identity has completely changed if we have gone from being in Adam to being in Christ. I love what Bird says in his commentary on Romans. He says, we have gone from the swamp to a palace, from quicksand to the rock, from the Dead Sea to paradise, or from a rat-infested apartment to the Bill Gates mansion. That is what we have done. We have changed our identity when we go from being in Adam to being in Christ. And you need to see this today, church family. Every person in this room is either one or the other. Either one or the other. There is, there's nowhere in between. You're not kind of working your way through things. It's not, I hope I'm this or that. It is in Adam and thus condemned or in Christ and thus justified. The only two options. Can you imagine going from death row for something that you actually did to being able to just walk right out the prison gates? Can you imagine what you would do, what you would change? I feel like the, the great theologian Hux would say from death row to being let go. <laughs> right? That's good. The more I listen to you, the better I get at it. I feel like I can come up with one every week. From death row to being let go. A second chance. A second chance. And this second chance, this new identity in Christ, it should affect, listen, every part of your life. It should not just affect your Sunday morning attendance. It should not just affect whether or not you have a Bible. This new identity ought to affect every aspect of your life. Since we are now justified before God, we are reconciled to God, we are adopted by God, we should be building our lives on the foundation that we are in Christ. It should look like that. No longer worshiping and serving ourselves, but worshiping and serving him. Tony Marita says this, he says, When we live like that, we will become a more humble, grateful, compassionate, and holy person. In essence, we are, when we are in Christ, we start to become like Christ. That's easy. When we are in Christ, we start to become like Christ. A little bit of a self-test for us. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 29. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, why? To be conformed to the image of his Son. When we are saved by God, we begin to look like the image of his son, Jesus. Happens over time. It's a progression, but it happens. We look back and we go, I am a different person because of the person who lives inside of me. 
Paul says it this way in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we move from being in Adam to being in Christ, our lives will be different. You cannot escape it if you read the New Testament. The next contrast is in verse 17, and this contrast is death and life. Are you keeping track with your notes? Verse 17, death and life. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. See, we know that death spread to all men because all men sinned. And death reigning over all is the impact of Adam had on all of humanity. Remember back with me to Genesis again in chapters 1 and 2. What was God's plan for Adam? Adam was supposed to be God's agent to reign on the earth, right? That was the plan. Adam was supposed to reign. But what did Adam do instead? Adam sinned. And so death reigned instead of Adam. And death reigns over all who have sinned. By contrast, however, believers in Christ will reign in life. When he says that we will reign in life, we see one of these already and not yet kind of situations that we see sometimes in the Bible. In Adam, we were dead in our trespasses, but now in Christ, we are alive. Now, when you receive Jesus, you are now living a life that you were not living before. But also, you will one day be transformed on the final day when Jesus returns. Already, but also not yet. I don't know if all of you know this or not, but I coach flag football once a week after school at the charter school. Little kids, we have a blast. Now, we don't have a whole lot of time. I have to go pick them up at the school and walk them across the street to the field. We get like 45 minutes. Fourth and fifth grade is the best. I have three rules. No cussing, no fighting, and if you score a touchdown, you have to dance. They love it. So we get out there and they grab their flags. I got red flags and green flags and they put them on. We got to move real quick. And so once everybody is equal teams, you know, and I kind of divide them up to try to make it fair, then I say this. I say, I need two captains. And everybody wants to be a captain. You know, homie, I haven't been a captain yet. And they come up. And so we get two captains and and I'm looking at them. And and usually it's just like picking them between one and ten. We're trying to figure out who gets the ball first and what way everyone's going to go and all that kind of stuff. We got to do it quick because we don't have a lot of time. Sometimes it's between 1,000 and 2,000. Sometimes it's pick my favorite color. Sometimes it's a letter of the alphabet, whatever it is. So they do it. And however these two captains answer, it represents their whole team. Okay? If this kid says, oh, pick number between 1 and 10, this kid says 2, and the smart kids go, oh, you know, like that. It doesn't matter. If this kid said 2, and they, then, then that affects the whole team because he is the team's captain. He is the representative. Everyone of us in this room is on one of two teams, and either Adam is your captain or Jesus is your captain. Do you understand? If Adam is your captain, you are dead in sin. If Jesus is your captain, you are alive in Christ. Look at the end of 17 again. Those who receive the abundance of grace. There's, there's a specific people that get to have Jesus as captain. Those who receive. Those who receive. Those who receive will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Church family, it's really good to be on Jesus' team. The abundant blessings that come from that are beyond anything we can imagine. But you have to receive his invitation. The last contrast is this. Look with me in verse 18 through 19. The last contrast is disobedience and obedience. 
18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. In the garden, Adam's act of disobedience brought death and sin into the world. On the cross, Christ's act of obedience brought hope and life to those who believe. Isn't that good? In the garden, Adam's act of disobedience brought in sin and death. On the cross, Christ's act of obedience brings life to those who believe. He says that we'll be made righteous. Now, this could be talking about that moment of salvation where you are declared righteous. No longer are you guilty before God. You're standing, your status before him. It could also be looking to the future when you are transformed on the final day. Both are true for believers. Christ's obedience leads to our present justification, but also our future transformation. Tim Keller does a great job explaining a lot of this. He says, Jesus' achievement was not simply to remove the penalty for our disobedience, wonderful though that is. It was to obey for us as our representative head throughout his life and supremely in his death. While Adam was told he would enjoy blessing if he obeyed God and yet chose to disobey, the second Adam knew he would face agony and death if he obeyed, and yet he resolutely walked in obedience to the Father. When we read of Jesus' continual loving obedience in the Gospels, it is a matter of life and death to us, because that obedience is our obedience if we are in Christ instead of in Adam. So how does Paul kind of wrap up this section? We've looked at the conflict and the contrast, and now we look at the conclusion in verse 20. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is talking about the law, Moses, okay, Old Testament, the book of Exodus. He knows the Old Testament. He believes the Old Testament. He knows the importance of the law, but he is convinced that no one will ever be saved by the works of the law. The law did not fix the sin problem. It only made it worse. It only brought awareness to what sin was. I love what Tony says. Tony says, the solution to sin is not Mosaic law, but Messianic grace. Write that down. The solution to sin is not Mosaic law, but Messianic grace. The solution to your sin problem is not being here more often on Sunday morning so that God will like you better. The solution to your sin problem is not being someone who now has his own Bible. The solution to your sin problem isn't doing a good deed for a homeless person. The solution to your sin problem is grace that only comes from Christ. Period. There's not enough you could ever do to where you would earn your way into heaven. We're not good enough. We're not good enough. But Jesus is. We receive righteousness and life only through Christ and God's gift of grace. Christ is the greater Adam, and his gift of grace is greater than the sin and death brought in by Adam. It is more powerful. I believe it was Julia Johnston who wrote the lyric, Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Amen.
You know, today, for those who have chosen to receive the gift, God's grace, those who are alive in Christ, we're going to celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper. And I want to say that participating in the Lord's Supper or communion is reserved for those who have chosen to follow Christ, those who are part of God's family. And so if you're here today and that's not you and you're still in Adam, you are still condemned, you are still guilty before God as your status, I would ask you this question today, what in the world are you waiting for? Why would you not move from being in Adam to in Christ where you can receive life eternal with him and all the blessings that come with that? And then today, you could do that today by saying something like, God, I don't have all the answers, I haven't figured it out. But man, I want to be on Jesus' team. Will you please save me? And then you could come for baptism here in the horse trough and join the church family. And you could take communion today for the first time with Christ in your heart and celebrate with the family. Now, if you're not ready to make that decision today, you do not have to leave. But I would invite you to watch as we celebrate this very special moment today. The scriptures encourage us to look in a number of directions as we share in the Lord's Supper. First, we are to look back, to look back with gratitude to Jesus and his death at the cross. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four 24 says that when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Next, we're to look around. I would love you to do that right now. Look around at your church family. Look around the body believers with whom we share the supper. It's something that we do when we come together. It's really special. Really special. It's significant that we share this meal as a community. Sharing this one bread together is a sign of our fundamental unity. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Paul also tells us to look inward. To examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29 says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. You see, it's possible to come to the table without repenting of sin. Especially those sins that impact the relationships within the church. But when we do that, we participate unworthily, Paul would say. So looking inwardly, we should do that now. We should examine ourselves. We should repent of our sins because we know that if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We also look up to heaven where the risen and ascended Christ intercedes on our behalf as our great high priest. Hebrews 4.14 says that since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And finally, we look forward. We look forward to the day that Jesus will return. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's the celebration 
of the supper serves a pro as a proclamation of Jesus' death, which anticipates his return. What he did for us, his life, death, and resurrection and ascension is all for us to be looking forward to his return. And when we do this, we proclaim that return. So now I want you to take this out. Be careful as you open it. They pop all over the place sometimes. In verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul wrote, he said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Continues in verse 25 and 26 in the same way. Also, he took the cup. It's the representation of his blood that was spilt for us on the cross in order to cover our sin so that we could be forgiven. And he says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In Matthew 26, as Jesus and his disciples kind of did this for the first time right before he was crucified. It says that before they went out to the garden to pray that they sang a hymn. And so today as we close... Peyton is going to lead us in a couple of choruses of my chains are gone and then, and then we'll be done, okay?